So um, with that, we're going to read from uh, Jeremiah chapter 11, our text for this morning. It's uh, verses 1 to 13, Jeremiah chapter 11. You can follow along with me on the screen, and uh, let me invite you to stand as an expression of honor for the Word of God. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the terms of this covenant and tell them to the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant. The terms that I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron smelting furnace. I said, obey me and do everything I command you and you will be my people and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your ancestors to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land that you possess today. I answered, Amen, Lord. Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought upon them all the curses of the covenant that I had commanded them to follow, but that they did not keep. Then the Lord said to me, there is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant that I made with their ancestors Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go out and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. You, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. And the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful God, Baal, are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord from Jeremiah chapter 11. You can be seated. Well, not a very happy story. uh, Sorry, you know, to to be the bearer of uh, um, uh, bad tidings this morning, but... um, Thankfully, this story, these words of judgment are not directed at us. They were, however, directed at the people of Judah and Jerusalem to whom Jeremiah was writing uh, a good long time ago. In fact, about um, 600 BC um, is when most historians estimate that uh, Jeremiah was writing these words. So what do these words have to do with our freedom in Christ? Well, maybe you began to get the idea, uh, especially if you're familiar with the steps to freedom and you know what the seventh one is, but if not, let me tell you right out of the the gate here this morning, the seventh step 
in these steps to freedom in Christ has to do with curses versus blessings. Curses versus blessings. So just to quickly review, step one had to do with counterfeit religion versus real religion, um, practicing what's true and right, not what's false or counterfeit. Step number two had to do with deception versus truth, understanding the lies that the enemy tries to feed us and the power that they have when, when we believe them. Step number three has to do with bitterness versus forgiveness, walking in freedom by forgiving those who've sinned against you just as Jesus has forgiven you. Step number four has to do with rebellion versus submission. Step five, pride versus humility. Step six, bondage versus freedom. That's what we talked about last week, being a slave to sin or being a slave to Christ. And then finally, we come to the last one, which has to do with curses versus blessings. So we're going to talk about what curses are and how they can impact our lives if we're not careful. So let me take you just for a moment back to the historic context of these words that we're reading from the prophet Jeremiah. Again, as I mentioned, scholars have determined that Jeremiah would have prophesied these words to the people of Judah, which was the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem, its capital, sometime around 600 B.C. These words constitute God's pronouncement of judgment upon his people and particularly that he was about to bring destruction upon the southern kingdom of Judah for the idolatry of its kings and its people. And this word of impending destruction would be fulfilled um, just a decade or so later in the year 587 B.C. when Judah was completely conquered and overrun by the Babylonians and all of its people, all the people of Judah and Jerusalem were exiled from the land. So these words, these prophetic words of judgment came true only 10 or 15 years after they were spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Now, I want you to just, you know, for a moment, if you can, kind of put yourself in the context of those who would have heard these words when they were first spoken. I mean, we get a sense of it just as we read them together here and now, but imagine if if you knew that the words were directed at you. How, how different might your reaction be? I mean, we, we feel bad reading these words here and now, you know, all these years later. But, but for the people of Judah and Jerusalem, this was not a pleasant word from the prophet of God, right? And you can perhaps try to imagine for a moment how, they, how the people listening to these words would have responded when they heard Jeremiah speak. Jeremiah thanks be to God, was was willing to pay the price of unpopularity to be faithful to deliver the word of God because these were indeed, this was the heart of God, this was the will of God, these were the words of God that Jeremiah was speaking to his contemporaries. So as we read these words and we try to appreciate the significance of, of what they can teach us, it might help to remember that at the time when they were delivered, they were soundly rejected and denounced by the people who first heard them. In fact, they were so peeved, so angry about what Jeremiah had to say to them that they you know, basically took him captive, the king took him captive, threw him in jail, and um, on numerous occasions they tried to kill him. 
Um, they, they, but they just couldn't do away with them. In fact, we studied the whole book of Jeremiah uh, a summer ago, like a year, just over a year ago. And some of you might recall some of the themes of that study. So Jeremiah's message was essentially a message of judgment, condemnation. It was about curses being fulfilled in the lives of those who'd made a covenant with God and failed to keep it, right? So you hear this language of curses um, and blessings used several times throughout this passage. And essentially, if you're to boil it all down, really what Jeremiah is saying is that um, years and years and years ago, your ancestors made a covenant with God and they failed to keep it because they fell into idolatry. And now, all these years later, you're doing the same thing. People of Judah, you're making the same mistake that your ancestors made because the curses that were visited upon them for their disobedience are, have now been visited upon you as well. And so uh, there was a sense in which uh, there was an, an ancestral inheritance, for lack of a better way to put it. There was a spiritual inheritance of disobedience and idolatry that the people of Judah were suffering from. And that's precisely what Jeremiah was confronting in their lives. So that brings us then really to the first insight I want to put before you as we think about this passage of Scripture is that essentially disobedience to God and failing to keep covenant with Him, failing to obey Him, um, and, and particularly the practice of any form of idolatry or false religion brings, actually brings curses upon people's lives. And this is the language that, uh, that the Old Testament is, is full of from beginning to end. Now, of course, we understand that there's a new covenant of, of uh, forgiveness and grace through faith in Jesus Christ that breaks the power of the curses over our lives. But the point being that disobedience and idolatry does, in fact, and still to this day, bring curses upon the lives of those who participate in them. That has never changed, right? The covenant law that God instituted in the Old Testament still applies in this sense, that if you break it, if you don't keep it, you suffer the consequences unless you're forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. So what, what Jeremiah is saying here, if you kind of look at the outline of his message, uh, is, is really rather simple. First, the Lord instructed him to say that he had warned God had warned these people's forefathers, their ancestors, generations ago. Then the Lord tells them to say that their forefathers didn't listen, and they acted in disobedience, therefore they were cursed. And then finally, the Lord asks Jeremiah to announce to these people, all these generations later, that they have committed the same mistake as their forefathers, and therefore they will suffer the same fate. So let me take you specifically to Jeremiah 11, 9 to 11, because I want, to, I want you to see here the, uh, the, the inheritance, the spiritual inheritance that was visited upon um, the people of Judah. Here, here again are the words of Jeremiah in verses 9 to 11. Then the Lord said to me, there is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them, 
Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant that I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will bring upon them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. So here, the message of Jeremiah is essentially about the curses that these people were receiving as a result, not only of their own disobedience and idolatry, but because the the, the chain of events or the, the inheritance, the spiritual inheritance of their ancestors had not been broken and cut off. They were indulging in the same, the very same sins as their ancestors. So what I want you to think about with me is that there are different kinds of inheritance, right? Think about that word inheritance. We're all familiar with it, in, uh, at least in the most basic sense, right? We say like father, like son, right? Because you look at a child and you can see in that child, um, sometimes you can see visible signs uh, that, that connect that child to their parent, right? There's, there's a lookalike phenomenon. And sometimes you might look at a child and compare, well, does, it, does this baby look more like the mom or, or more like the dad, right? So there's a, there's a genealogical inheritance, But there's also a behavioral inheritance. That's what we're talking about here. Now, of course, there's a financial inheritance, too. You can inherit all sorts of different things from your ancestors. But in this case, what what Jeremiah is talking about is a spiritual inheritance. The apple doesn't far fall from the tree is another saying that, that speaks to this reality at work in people's lives. The point is that that strongholds of disobedience and idolatry are often perpetuated from one generation to the next. That's the second takeaway I want to put before you this morning. Strongholds of disobedience and idolatry are often perpetuated from one generation to the next. Let me give you an example. I heard a story uh, recently, and it just struck me as so... Um, so appropriate and so fitting to this particular step in the seven steps to freedom. It's a story, uh, and I won't use anybody's names here, but it's the story of, um, of a woman who was in an abusive relationship. Her husband was an alcoholic, and he was abusive toward her, and she lived in great fear. And she, there was a great deal of anxiety and fear that consumed her life. Well, she became pregnant um, while they were still together, And then uh, eventually she was able to to leave. I don't know if he left her or she left him, but somehow or another she became a single mom and had a baby boy. And when that baby boy grew up, wouldn't you know that that baby boy, uh, as he became a young man, was stricken with panic attacks. Just an incredible measure of anxiety incapable of interacting with people, incapable of, of, of going out in public, spends the vast majority of his time at home alone. Do you think that there might be a direct connection between the panic that that man suffers with, the anxiety, and the anxiety that his mother experienced even while he was in the womb? Now, is that a genealogical inheritance? or a spiritual inheritance? I think it's spiritual. 
In fact, to take it one step further, somehow this man was able to find himself a bride and uh, they had a child, a daughter, and wouldn't you know, the daughter also suffers with extreme anxiety and panic attacks. How could that be? Well, what's happening in the lives of that family is exactly what we're reading about here in Jeremiah chapter 11. It's the sins of the fathers being visited upon the third and fourth generation of their children. And this is a biblical principle that's talked about in several places throughout the Old Testament and the New. So again, the point here is that strongholds of disobedience or idolatry are perpetuated from one generation to the next. And those strongholds have to be broken. Those curses have to be broken deliberately and cut off through faith in Jesus Christ so that they will no longer impact the next generation. So in these last verses of our text from Jeremiah 11, Jeremiah is spelling out this fundamental biblical principle that's often, I think, underestimated. People don't realize the kind of spiritual inheritance that they may have um, taken upon themselves from their ancestors. Jeremiah illustrates that in some way, there's a natural tendency for people to return to the sins of their forefathers. And this phenomena then is what many people now describe as a generational stronghold. In fact, it's one of the, uh, the curses that comes from disobedience and idolatry. Um, and it tends to show up again and again in children and grandchildren of those who participate in ungodly practices. Let me give you just a couple examples from the Old Testament of how this is spoken of and described, just so you, you have some broader context of how Scripture speaks to this reality. And perhaps one of the most significant references that we could turn our attention to is in Exodus 20. Exodus 20, right in the context of the Ten Commandments. Listen and look closely with me at the words that were spoken by the Lord to his people right after he gave the first two commands. The end of the second commandment, Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Another reference that similarly speaks to the same reality, and this one's back in Jeremiah a little further along in chapter 32, verses 17 and 18. Jeremiah declares, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. So what are we talking about here? What are we, what's the reality that we have to come to terms with? Well, I'd sum it up for you as simply as I can like this. 
you, you need to pay close attention to the sins of your ancestors because they may be affecting you in ways that you're not already you know, aware of, fully aware of. Neil Anderson, the author of the Steps to Freedom workbook, says it this way, those who will not face the sins of their fathers may be doomed to repeat them. Those who will not face the sins of their fathers may be doomed to repeat them. And so we could look at any number of different examples of how this works itself out. It could be through a pattern of abuse from one generation to the next, or a pattern of anxiety, as, we just, uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, a pattern of, of sexual immorality or, or indulgence, um, perhaps adultery even. Um, there could be patterns or attitudes of bigotry or racism that are visited from one generation to the next. There can be patterns of idolatry and false religion visited from one generation to the next. The point is that if your ancestors indulged in a particular form of disobedience or idolatry, it's more likely that their children and their children's children will struggle with the same reality. Now, for those of you who have you know, good and godly parents, pray, praise be to the Lord. Maybe you don't have to worry about this. Perhaps, um, or perhaps you've already dealt with this and you're already free from any spiritual inheritance that's not of the Lord. But the point is, there, there may be some of us here this morning and, and perhaps there are even others in your circle of influence, people that you know, that are indeed under the influence of generational curses. What do we do with that? How are we to break those? How are we to, how are we to find freedom if we discover, in fact, that we are under the influence of a generational stronghold, an inheritance in the spirit from our ancestors that's not godly. And that brings us then to the, the, the practical step here. The practical step. What, what God calls us to do in situations like this and what the Steps to Freedom workbook helps us to do as well is to renounce any ungodly influence from our heritage, and to deliberately break those generational curses as we become aware of them. You have to be purposeful about this. In fact, if I can put it another way, perhaps this language will be more familiar to you, even though it seems a bit strange. You have to confess and renounce the sins of your ancestors to find freedom from generational curses. So the good news is that, that these generational strongholds are, are not inevitable. It's, it's not as if you can't be free of them, right? The promise of God's word is that we, we can indeed walk in freedom, that we can experience freedom in Christ. So the power of these curses, though it is genuine and legitimate and can indeed have a negative influence over our lives, the power of these curses can be broken if we're purposeful and deliberate about identifying them and bringing them before the Lord. So what you need to know is that you can be free in Christ. You're not resigned to live with that spiritual inheritance from your ancestors. You can break free of it. How do you do that? Well, let me give you a few scriptures because Jeremiah 11, of course, doesn't necessarily give us the answer. It just points out the problem. Let me give you a few scriptures that do point us in the direction of how to do this. And there are several. I won't 
uh, go through all of them, but just give you a few examples. The first one is from Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1, verse 6. Here's what Nehemiah writes. Let your ear be attentive. This is in the context of a prayer. And your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Okay, so there's an example. Think about what what Nehemiah is doing in this prayer. He's not only confessing his own sins, he's also confessing the sins of his father's family. Have you ever considered the significance of doing something like that? Have you ever thought about what the sins of your father's family might be and specifically taken those before the Lord in confession? A little bit later on in the book of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 2, there's another reference uh, that, that touches upon the same idea. He says, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. Then they stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Now, why were they doing this? Well, again, if you understand the broader context of the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had taken uh, a group of people to rebuild the ancient walls of Jerusalem. Uh, This is after, you know, the Babylonian captivity. And... uh, um, He was trying, to the best of his ability, to give leadership to the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the city, and establishing it once again as the city of God. And so there came a time when when he asked the people of Jerusalem to consecrate themselves before the Lord and to dedicate the city back to God. And this is what he had them do. You don't just confess your own sins if you want to be free. You also have to confess the sins of your ancestors. We see another example of this in Psalm 79, verse 8. This is written by Asaph, one of the psalmists. Uh, didn't, didn't write quite as many psalms as David, but a good number. He writes, Do not hold against us, and this is a prayer, the prayer of Asaph, do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us for we are in desperate need. So here again, we see Asaph being deliberate, being purposeful about asking God for mercy and inviting God to cut off the effects of the sins of previous generations. And then I'll, I'll close with one last reference from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So the point of Peter's words, right, is is simply this. If you identify in your life something empty, something harmful, something destructive, a pattern of behavior that you've inherited, that was handed down to you from your ancestors, you have to take responsibility to cut that off before the Lord. You have to invite the Lord to cover 
that, whatever it is, that stronghold with the blood of Christ and break its power over your life. Let me close with one example. Uh, and th this is, comes really